Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness, and thanks for listening. I'm your host, Barnaby Howarth. This is a show designed to help people realise there is greatness in being an everyday Harry Sacker Rolls. Bouncing back from crushing adversity, finding mystical superhuman resilience, and going on to change the world sounds sexy. But just being a good human being, trying your hardest and being proud of yourself despite not making it to the top in any of those areas, doesn't sound that glitzy, but that's exactly how my guest today rolls. Marcel Haddon is a perfect example of resilience in development, an area of study by Anne Marston, who finds magic in the everyday ordinariness of resilience. Describing someone as ordinary is usually a nasty thing to say, but Marcel could have been the inspiration for Anne Marston's book, Ordinary Magic. When he was younger, Marcel had ambitions to be a professional basketball player, a drummer in a rock band, and he wanted to turn vulnerable people's lives around at the click of his fingers. He ended up playing basketball for the Hills Hornets under 14Bs. His band, Jefferson Grove, made it as high as Triple J's unearthed competition. He worked with vulnerable, He does work with vulnerable people for over 20 years, and he is turning lives around, but he's doing it bit by bit, not at the click of his fingers. Marcel didn't face adversity or find mystical or superhuman resilience, and he's not changing the world. But he's living proof of Anne Marston's studies that resilience is made up of ordinary rather than extraordinary processes. And I'm pleased to say Mar- Marcel Haddon joins me now on Everyday Greatness. <coughs> Marcel, welcome. Thanks hey, for joining us. How are you, Barnaby? Magnificent. <coughs> you must you must have felt like the world was your oyster when you were younger. Playing basketball, playing in a band. What would you what would have been your dream pursuit as a kid? As a kid, I think a younger kid coming from a Argentinian background, all I wanted to do was play in a World Cup for Argentina. Probably at about twelve years old. I turned on the TV and saw a Chicago Bulls game and saw Michael Jordan play and was just absolutely mesmerised. And from that point on, all I wanted to do was play basketball. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, that was, you know, trained, trained hard every day. That was my dream. Just wanted to be Michael Jordan. You didn't quite make it to the NBA. No. But your former coach's son, Josh Green, just recently has made it. What do you think it was that you were missing that was holding you back from being a professional basketballer? Yeah, look, it's amazing seeing Josh um, get through and, uh, you know, get drafted by the Dallas Mavericks. What an amazing achievement. You know, there's thousands, tens of thousands of basketball players, professional players all over the world vying for, you know, 300, 400 spots in the NBA and to get picked for one, that's amazing. Um. For me, I think, you know, I had um, setbacks, I had injury setbacks um, and, you know, like I think also too, 
you know, at the moment there's easier paths. The world's a much smaller place. There's easier paths for Australians and, and you know, non-American players to get through to the NBA. Um, and, yeah, for me, for me it was just, you know, not being able to, yeah, take the next steps, injuries, um, yeah, just not, not having the focus I needed to take the next step to that level anyway. So you didn't quite make it to the NBA, but your band, Jefferson Grove, were on the cusp of becoming something. Tell me about how those guys started. Yeah, so we were all um, playing music kind of in other bands and doing other stuff and, you know, doing some really cool things. And me personally, I had, you know, the, was playing music with people and then kind of left that and I was kind of missing it. And I was in... Surrey Hills somewhere and um, I was kind of needed to catch a train somewhere and I had a while to kill so I've gone into a pub and I'm sitting down there minding my business and I hear a couple of people chatting and I kind of started eavesdropping and it turns out that one of them owned the pub that I was in and another one was owned the uh, what turned out to be St Patrick's Tavern and he was talking and they were he was looking for a band to play on St Patrick's Day so I kind of, you know, made my way into the conversation and I said, oh, you know, I, I think I can help you out. I'm, I've got a band. We're really, really good. We're available on St. Patrick's Day. You know, give us $1,000 or we can drink and feed us for the night and we'll come play. So anyway, somehow this actually happened and he agreed to it. So when I left the pub, I've called up, you know, my mate Tommy, I'm like, hey, Tommy, when's St. Patrick's Day, first of all? And I was like, next week. Like, okay, cool. Well, I just booked a band that I don't have to play on yeah, at St. Patrick's Tavern on St. Patrick's Day. There's a thousand bucks in it. If you want to play? You're like, oh, yeah, cool. That sounds good. So then we called up my other mate, Goldie. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. This sounds crazy, but yeah, I'm into it. And, uh, yeah, later on down the track. So so we all, I met these guys years before and we were living in a massive half house slash recording studio out in Kentest on Jefferson Grove. So when it came for me to kind of send all the info for the band, for these people, for their flyers, they've asked me what the band's called. And I've gone, oh, we're called Jefferson Grove. And uh, anyway, we went, rocked up there, played this gig and it was amazing. It was so packed that there was like, I had a dude standing next to me because there were so many people in there. There was people on the stage. There was a dude just chatting to me, like, inside the area of my drum kit all night. Um, found out later that they made, like, a record profit. I think they made, like, $35,000 over the bar in the time slot that we played. And it also turned out that the same owners owned the Tea Gardens Hotel, so they ended up booking us as the resident band in the Tea Gardens. We played there twice a week for a year and yeah it just kind of came from that it was kind of a lie but it was it turned out well that's a cracky story <laughs> a lie that we backed up well so you <clears throat> were you a ragtag bunch of misfits did you have any run-ins with the cops not no not with those guys i mean everyone in that band at that time was kind of older and had kids and you're probably more likely to catch one of them trying to brew their own kombucha tea 
than doing anything that was going to break the law, to tell you the truth, as boring as that sounds. That's totally fair enough. Uh, Being in a band sounds like a long way away from where you currently work in disability support. How did those two worlds become on the same path? Well, actually... When I met all of those guys that are in Jefferson Grove, I was it was kind of early 2000s and I was kicking about, not doing much. I'd just, I think, broken up with a girl and needed a place to live. And I moved into this house that was a massive house and it had like seven people living down one end of it and then a recording studio in the other end. And it turns out it was, you know, these guys. Um, and they all worked in the disability industry and specifically in in a home with with uh, like a children's residential home <clears throat> uh, it turned out that um they needed more workers there was a lot of kind of challenging behaviors in that house and they needed more male staff so they lined me up with a job interview and I went in there and winged it and somehow <laughs> managed to get this job um I ended up being there for I think five or six years and it turns out I had a knack with working with kids um, and it kind of just grew from there. I never did any studies, um, went through just getting kind of better jobs along the way uh, just basically from experience. You seem to have quite a knack of just winging it and landing in the right spot. Yeah. You, you see challenging behaviours every day in your work. What are some of the most challenging you've seen? Uh, well, to tell you the truth, where I'm at now, I, I don't really. So at the moment I'm working for an organization. I, um, run recreation programs and I manage, um, I supervise about 35, 40 disability support workers. But yeah, for a long time, um, working with kids with challenging behaviors, um, mostly with, you know, Down syndrome and autism, um, it can be tough. Um, I think most most challenging behaviours in, in children in particular um, stem from a lack of being able to communicate. Um, if you can't communicate your needs and you've got no way, you know, if you or I are feeling hot, we can just take our jumper off. If we don't have the capacity to take our own jumper off or know that taking our jumper off will help the situation and how we're feeling, um you know, it usually triggers a behaviour. I think for me, like the most challenging on my part is just, you know, a lot of challenging behaviours become kind of violent um, and directed towards, you know, the people that they're trying to communicate to. Um, And really the most challenging part in that is just seeing the situation for what it is and not taking it to heart and realising that this person doesn't actually have anything against you. They're not actually trying to hurt you. They've just got no other way to, you know, communicate and this is their way to kind of, I guess, if you need something in your life and you've got no way to communicate it and you smash a cup on the ground, people are going to come and hopefully one of them works out what's wrong and, and helps you. Do you know what I mean? And I think in the industry, it's it's um, it's just about being able to see situations for what they are and realising that 
that person doesn't actually have anything against you and that nothing's personal and you can get through a situation, deal with it, calm it down and then turn up next day and not hold anything against them and, you know, not not feel like that you're hated <laughs> kind how, of. How do you calm those situations down? If someone's angry with you and <clears throat> directs it to you physically, how do you calm it down? Look, every person's different and it definitely helps when you know that person and know, you know, what they need. And, and I mean, honestly, it's about just troubleshooting and trying to work out what the actual problem is, what's the underlying problem that, that's triggering this behaviour. And it could be, you know, for instance, one, one boy I looked after, he would get upset and hit himself in the head, usually on a Saturday or Sunday around about the same time. And it took a while to kind of put the pieces together, but, you know, with all the documentation and everything like that, we managed to put down times and work out what was going on. And it turned out that he always did this when the neighbours were mowing their lawns and all as it was is he had hypersensitive hearing and was freaked out by the noise of the lawnmower so all these we had to do is take him out show him what was making the noise and he would calm down do you know what i mean and it took a very long time to actually work out that was the problem and you know it it, it can be like as simple as that but generally trying to find out what the core of the problem is is the key so with all these behavioral issues do you um do you think the people that are experiencing the behavioral issues um, understand and appreciate the support they're getting from their families and the staff that look after them? Uh, that's a tough question. I think, I think a lot of the time, like with children that have autism, they probably don't really comprehend. I think any child doesn't really comprehend if they're upset about something. They don't kind of sit down and nut it all out afterwards um i think um that when you are able to make breakthroughs with children in that area it does you know usually to make breakthroughs you're helping them develop a way to communicate and i think once you start developing communication with the people around you it just snowballs in your successes and you achieving goals and 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 your quality of life um and the things around you just improving because obviously you know communication's the key so if you can communicate to the key people in your life then life's going to start getting better than if you can't so we live in a world today that is all about short-term success and instant breakthroughs nobody wants to work hard on small things over a long period of time, they all, all want overnight success. Have you seen any overnight turnarounds in behavioural issues or is it a long grind? It's definitely a long grind. <clears throat> and I think, you know, learning any skill or achieving a goal for most people is a is a kind of long-term thing that gets, you know, you might have a goal and you'll break it down into smaller little goals and you might achieve them quickly. But I think... You know, if if you're achieving your goal overnight, you probably haven't set your bar high enough. Um, and with with people with kind of intellectual disabilities, things can take, you know, it can take years. But I guess it's about 
just setting realistic goals and knowing you know that the that the curve of progress doesn't just shoot straight up um and just being realistic and and you know taking pride in the small steps you're actually taking to achieve that goal along the way so people with disability and behavioral issues are often referred to as resilient people do you think they actually go out and study resilience and find tools to make them more resilient or are they just a byproduct of the people around them giving them love and support i think i think they have to be resilient i think um <clears throat> you know for the opportunities like everything everything potentially is made more difficult you know like just going out and seeing like I always especially when I worked with kids I would always look at them as a child and not a child with a disability or see the disability I think you know when when someone has a disability what they want is for people to actually see them and see you know what they what they can do rather than what they can't do um and I think you know it's it's often an uphill battle for people with disabilities just to just to be on the same kind of playing ground as people you know like if you and I I mean with where I am at the moment I run recreation programs and that's you know just people like you and I going out and it could be as simple as having a beer with our mates but you know I can call up my friends and go out and on the spur of a moment if I needed help with that if I needed help with transport if I needed help you know getting in and out of bed or in and out of the house to be able to do that it makes things a lot more difficult so you you work at Northcott yeah they have facilities where it's purely designed to help disabled people survive and live and find jobs and things what are some of the most heartwarming signs of resilience and love and support you've seen in your time there i mean in in northcott honestly at the moment i sit behind a desk and i you know support my staff to go out and and support our customers um i think you know it's great seeing how with the programs i run seeing how people you know how much it means for people to be able to go out and and go to the movies with their friends and that sort of stuff um <clears throat> yeah i think um it it's it's more i guess i've seen more of that kind of in my other jobs when i've i've um dealt you know face to face with people um but yeah i think just for me to kind of support my staff to you know support our customers to achieve their goals like everybody everybody wants to succeed in life um and i guess the role of a support worker is to be there and support that person in the most you know unintrusive way as possible when you were more hands on in disability support you must have taken a pretty strong mental toll then every day what did you used to do to de-stress um yeah exactly like i 
throughout the years that I've been doing this, I took definitely took breaks. I, you know, have gone traveling for years at a time. Um, it absolutely like the disability industry's got, you know, one of the biggest burnout rates. Um, I think I was lucky enough to a lot of the places that I worked were, you know, I had teams of people around me. So if I had a bad day, I could debrief with them. Um, and I guess that's kind of my role now with the people I support, uh, the support workers I support, um, just kind of debriefing situations with them. Um, I think kind of under the NDIS, it's made it a lot harder because people now are working one-on-one -on -one in the community a lot more and, you know, you might be a support worker and not run into another support worker for months at a time. So you've got no one to kind of talk to and if you're new in the industry something might happen and, you know, you don't know if you've had a particularly bad day or this is actually what every day looks like and you're just supposed to deal with it because you've got no one there to kind of bounce your ideas off. But um, I think, yeah, just being able to debrief with colleagues, with supervisors, even, you know, with with family members when you get home. Mm -hmm. And do you have any little side projects or things that just take your mind off disability support work? Yeah, so um, at the moment um, I've got a company called Little Warrior Creations. It's I call it a company. It's it's a it's a, just a side project um, making kind of timber and epoxy resin tables and things like that. Um, that's yeah, I find that very uh, therapeutic and um, definitely definitely helps me kind of wind down from a day at work. And where can people find products if they are so inclined? Ooh. Um, so you can go to, what's my email address, littlewarriorcreations.com.au and you can have a look at the cool stuff I make there. Sounds like a very good idea. Good, good plug. <laughs> so tell me about your band. Are Jefferson Grove still playing any gigs? Uh, no, actually. We haven't for ages. Everyone up and left. Um, we got one guy having babies in Germany at the moment, um, another another member um, chasing women in New Zealand. Um, uh, one band member keeps slowly moving further and further down south at the moment. <laughs> he lives in Bega, so I don't know how far he's actually going to end up. But, yeah, I'm the only one still in Sydney. So, um, no, haven't done anything for ages. Do you find any pride in just being an ordinary, everyday human being? Yeah, I, I've like over the years, I've kind of thought about that a lot. And I guess growing up, wanting to play sport, and you know, going through and and like as a as a young person and a teenager and stuff, being considered an elite athlete and playing on state teams and you know, that sort of stuff, you just kind of get locked in that this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I think at some point, like, when that doesn't work out, um, you need to, I guess, find solace in, in what you're going to do. And I always said to myself, after that didn't work out, what I don't want to do is work for a millionaire to make them more money so falling into this kind of work, um, and I always, you know, coached when I was playing sport, I coached at camps and things like that. So I was always 
like really liked working with people and helping people kind of push and achieve goals. Um, but yeah, I think for me, like I worked a lot of years with people and I feel like I've really helped people achieve stuff in their life and kind of changed lives. And I think that the solace that I find in that is that if I had become a star athlete and, you know, achieved those dreams, then there's a hell of a lot of people that maybe wouldn't have, you know, achieved what they have achieved in life through my kind of direct input because I would have been off, you know, shooting Nike commercials <laughs> rather than, you know, helping helping someone learn how to, you know, string sentences together and learn how to talk and, you know, learn how to eat with a knife and fork. Um, and at some point you've got to just sit back and say, you know, what's actually more rewarding and what's more important. Um, there's no glamour in what I do, but I think it's definitely more important that, you know, how things have panned out have helped a lot more people than I would have been well, on the Wheaties box. Very well said. <laughs> Marcella Haddon, I think you're an extraordinary, ordinary human being. Thank you so much for joining me on Everyday Greatness. Thank you, sir. Thank you to the ARA Group for being the major sponsor of our podcast. Thank you to Look Studio Australia for recording our podcast. And thank you all for listening. I hope that when you put your device down in a minute, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe Bag of Donuts. I hope you can join us next week where I'll speak to... Hill Sports Physiotherapist Greg Castle. Greg lost his wife to breast cancer and he faced an insurmountable mountain in front of him. But rather than try and get from the bottom to the top in one fell swoop, he thought the best way to do it is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And when he felt like stopping, the resilience he needed came from the community around him. I hope you can join us next week. But thank you again, Marcel, and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Greatness. Proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group. If you'd like to stay up to date, check out our pages on Facebook and Instagram or to listen to more episodes, go to everydaygreatness.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts.